Join me in 1 Samuel chapter number 13. I want to talk to you tonight uh, about leadership. So much of the life of Samuel has been about servanthood, and every now and then uh, we'll see some glimpses of leadership. But I, I, want, to, I want to focus on leadership all night uh, tonight in the time that we have left. Um, I remember when I was a church member, I was not even a junior staff member yet. I was saved three years before I came on staff here. I don't know why they let me come on staff, but I'm so glad they did. But I, I was saved three years. And I remember just watching my pastor. I was 25 years old and just watching him. And I'd been saved, you know, this real long time, like four months. And I was watching him up there preaching. And I remember just in ignorance, just thinking, I think I could do that. I actually think I could do better than that. I, 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 I think that, yeah, I think that I could lead in the kingdom. Because what he's doing, if that's all there is to it, I can do that. And I remember thinking that what I saw on the stage on Sunday, that's what kingdom leadership was all about. I could not have been more wrong. Kingdom leadership is uh, nothing like secular leadership, in spite of all the attempts of the church growth gurus, kingdom leadership, when it's rooted in Scripture and lived out according to Scripture, is not like the earth's kingdom leadership. Heavenly kingdom leadership is about influence and servanthood, and they can't be separated. And we, we find out as we study the life of Samuel and we're studying the life of Saul that the prerequisite for ever leading in the kingdom in order to be a leader, you have to first prove that you can be a great follower. And King Saul, who has been anointed and welcomed to be by the people of Israel, their very first king, he's been anointed by Samuel, is now ruling on the throne. And by the time we get to chapter 13 of this study, King Saul is into his tenure as the king, at least a year into it, and he is not doing anything well. He's had a couple of victories on the battlefield, but the real battle, the one he's not fighting well, is the battle of his own heart. He's been given position, but he doesn't have power. He, he's been given influence, but he doesn't have integrity. He's been given a throne, but he doesn't know how to bow before the throne. And so by the time we get to chapter number 13, uh, his kingdom is just about to be taken away from him. He had all the potential, he was the best that Israel could offer, and yet we're going to find out in tonight's message that he didn't know what he was doing. And so Samuel, the godly leader, had to go and do some really dirty work in the kingdom. Tonight's message is called the underbelly of leadership. And especially of note to those of you who may sense a call, who are wondering if God might use you as an influencer in the kingdom, and I hope He does. We need more. We need more godly leadership. But I, I do want to be transparent with you tonight that what you see on a stage on a Sunday or a Wednesday is really um, a minuscule part of what it means to lead in the kingdom. And I'll show you some of the other stuff tonight. Verse number 8, 1 Samuel chapter 13. Speaking of King Saul, it says that he waited seven days that was the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he, Saul, offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? 
And Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself, and I offered the burnt offering. Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, with which He commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. The rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin, and Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about 600 men. Almost every week in the study on Samuel, we get done reading the verses, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, what? Because these verses have to be unpacked for us to appreciate what the contents are. You read these verses, it seems like kind of a meaningless little uh, snapshot of a moment, a day, uh, just a, a little portion of, of, of two Old Testament guys' lives. What does that have to do with us today? What kingdom principles can be extracted from this that can edify us and grow us and strengthen us? Well, again, the focus in this message is on leadership, and I want to show you what's required of a leadership, whether uh, of a leader in the kingdom. At times, whether you're male or female, whether you're you're ordained or not ordained, whether you work in a church or you work in a, an attorney's office, it, it really doesn't matter. What matters is that this is a core part of leadership that most people don't consider when they commit to doing something great out front for the Lord. But there's going to be times in our lives where as we are walking with the Lord and as He is leading us, as we have the privilege of leading others, He's going to put you in a place where it's going to potentially cost you everything in order to keep your integrity and to lead out in what God's assigned to you. So let's see how that plays out in Samuel's life. We're also going to be, keep your Bible open if you brought one, we're also going to end up in chapter 15, and I'm going to read some verses in there in just a little bit. But let's, let's cover what I just read. The first thing that is part of the underbelly of leadership is having to warn the wayward. Warning the wayward. Let's see right here in this text. Notice the presumptuous leader. This is the king, the most powerful man in Israel, and he is a presumptuous leader. Here it says, he waited seven days until the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel didn't come. And the people were scattering, they were fleeing, they were rebelling against Saul. And so Saul says, bring the burnt offering to me, bring the peace offering, and he offers up the burnt offering. And as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, Samuel shows up, and then it says Saul goes out to greet him and meet him. Uh, we would be much advantaged if we were Old Testament Jews, because we'd really understand what just happened here. But we're not, so let me give some explanation. So Samuel and Saul had had an agreement that they would meet together at, this, at a certain time in this certain area. Samuel said, wait for me seven days, I'll show up. Well, seven days had passed, and Samuel didn't show up on time. 
And so Saul is faced with a dilemma. The Philistines are about, the Philistines are the bad guys. They're coming up against Israel. They're outnumbering Israel. Saul doesn't know what to do. Samuel hasn't given the green light. Samuel's not there to lead Saul. Saul is getting um, restless because the people are going back home. They see the enemy coming. They hear the news that they're outnumbered. And so the people are scattering. And so Saul is in a position where he's either got to do something proactively or he's got to risk it and wait in obedience for Samuel to show up. Well, you're going to clearly see that Saul did not uh, show that he was willing to wait. And so he got antsy, he took matters into his own hands. Somebody had to offer the sacrifice unto God because if they were going to fight the Philistines, they needed to worship before they got into the warfare. But nobody was there to lead the worship. Saul wasn't supposed to, he wasn't qualified to, and yet nobody else would. So Saul does what a lot of us would do. Saul's like, well, if nobody else is going to do it, I guess I'll do it. I guess Samuel's not going to show up, so I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And so Saul intrudes into the office of a priest. That was a big no-no. God set it up to where the priest alone would offer the sacrifices. But Saul said, bring me the sacrifices, I'll take care of business. And as soon as he finished, the last sacrifice works this way all the time. As soon as he had finished, Samuel comes up. And all of the sudden, Saul runs out to greet him. Now, this is a presumptuous leader. Samuel is a spiritual leader, but Saul is the civic leader. And in those days, the civic leaders would listen to the spiritual leaders. It doesn't work that way anymore, but in those days it did. So Samuel shows up and Saul runs out to greet him. Saul, proud of himself for taking care of the sacrifices, proud of himself for handling what could have been a tense situation. But Samuel's coming on the scene with spiritual discernment and he knows that Saul has actually sinned by intruding into the priest's office. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot to you, but it meant a whole lot to Samuel because Samuel's job incorporated the, the need, the obligation to set Saul straight. To go after a wayward, presumptuous leader. So look in verses 11 through 13. This is part of the underbelly of leadership. Sometimes it's not about preaching good news. Sometimes you've got to correct, rebu rebuke, reprove, and exhort with long suffering and doctrine. So here are the no nonsense leader. Samuel says, What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw the people were scouting from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed. In other words, Samuel, you showed up late. It's really your fault. And that the Philistines had mustered at whatever that city's name is. I said, now the Philistines will come down to me at Gilgal. I've not sought the favor of the Lord. So Samuel, I forced myself. I didn't want to do it, Samuel, but I did it. And I offered the burnt offerings. Now look at verse 13. Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You've not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. And for, uh, for then... The Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. So immediately Samuel comes in, this is going to build as we get further down into it, and he has to function as an undiplomatic, not politically correct, kind of an in-your-face leader to Saul the king. And he says, what you have done is absolutely wrong. You've done foolishly, but it's not just that. He says, and there's going to be a consequence for it. Now let me just pause here because none of us in here are kings. None of us in here are queens. Uh, none of us in here are the lone national prophet to the United States of America. Um, and so it, we have to work hard at saying, well, what do we do with this? Each of us have influence. And the influence comes also with the fact that as Christians we have a call to advance truth. 
We're called to represent Jesus Christ. Now, in the culture you and I are living in, representing Christ in, in the minds of our lost culture means we're always sweet, we're always nice, we're, not, we're turning every cheek that we've got to make sure that we are the sweetest, the kindest, the nicest, the most milk toast, the most gentle. And listen, I do believe in a gentle uh, uh, testimony. We do need to be kind. But please remember that the other side of the coin, the underbelly, to what it means to be a person of influence as a kingdom is sometimes your voice has to be heard when it's correcting what's wrong. Parents that try to be their children's best friends, you're going to raise a rebel, I promise you, because part of your job is to correct what is wrong. And unless your kid is walking on water these days, your kid is a sinner just like my kids are sinners, and they have to be corrected. Same thing with grandkids, and same, same thing in our, in our churches, and in our communities, and, and everywhere we go, um, there is the, the occasion um, to stand strong against things that are just jacked up in our society. Um, I don't want to be the guy walking around with my finger out pointing at people all the time. That's not what I'm talking about here. But I want to tell you, if we're listening to the Lord every now and then, He's going to say, I want you to speak for me on this issue. And we don't see a whole lot of that going on, but Samuel had learned that well, it's not a popularity contest. He wanted to be honorable to the Lord. So look at the um, verses 14 and 15. And Samuel takes it up a notch. And I want to encourage all of us to respect this unapologetic leader, not only in our text tonight, but also when you meet them in the kingdom. He says to Saul, now your kingdom shall not continue. I'm going to come back to that. He adds to it, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be the prince over his people. Because Saul, you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And on that word, Samuel stands up and walks away. Now that's pretty dramatic. I mean, that's a little diva-esque diva a little bit right there. Samuel, you can just see him. He looks straight at uh, Saul and he says, what you've done, and this was not the first time Samuel, uh, Saul had, had, had made a blunder, but this was a threshold moment. And because he had disregarded the sanctity of the priest office, because he had disobeyed the Lord, the Lord's command through Samuel was, wait at Gilgal until Samuel comes. Samuel will offer the sacrifice prior to the battle. And so all of that was given, and Saul was just presumptuous, took matters into his own hand, and God wasn't going to play around. This is another part of the underbelly of leadership. We're going to see it in Samuel and Saul here. Leaders to whom much is given, much is required. James teaches that those that are masters in the King James, I learned it in the King James, be ye not many masters, for ours is the greater condemnation. Or he may have even said damnation, I can't remember, but the, the teaching is this. When you are in the position of authority in the kingdom, that there is a greater, greater level of scrutiny, a greater level of expectation, a higher mark that, and standard that God will hold a leader to, and Saul had fallen well beneath that. And so Samuel actually says to him, because of what you've done today, you will not have what's called a dynastic kingdom. That means, Saul, your kingdom will not go through you to your descendants. Your kingdom will stop with you. Now, it's about to get worse here in a minute for Saul, but this was bad news. Saul was the first king. He was rather new on the job, to be honest with you. And within a matter of just a short time frame, he had rebelled against God, disobeyed the commandments, disregarded the ways of God, and God said, that's not the kind of leader I can use. And he picks another leader, Samuel, and says, Samuel, you're going to have to ring him out on this thing. That's, that's a much more difficult moment to be in for a leader than just, you know, preaching a prophetic message. 
or a nice exp- expository sermon or making a visit to the hospital or doing a funeral or a wedding. Those are all things that we sometimes easily come to mind when we think of leadership in the New Testament church. But the fact of the matter is, um, preaching a sermon, I actually did the math today. 4% of my weekly time is spent doing what I'm doing right now. 4%. And this is, the, this is as fun as it gets for me. I love to preach and I love to teach. But some people would think, well, that's, that's just what a preacher does. Y'all have all heard the jokes. Well, I'd love to be a preacher. You only work one day a week. We've all heard that stuff. And it couldn't be further from the truth. Samuel had to get in there in the king's face and he had to challenge him. It's not a good thing to have to consider, or it's, it's a good thing to have to consider. It's not an easy thing for us to have to do. And so I, I, I really feel like I want to hit this home tonight before moving to the next point. I think some of you in the room are destined for kingdom leadership. There may even be, even in a smaller crowd like this, there may be some of you that have a call on your life and you just haven't moved into it yet. And I want to tell you that you will probably never be happy doing anything less than your calling. And if your calling is to kingdom leadership, you've got to bone up and you've got to recognize that we need some spiritual steel in our spine because on occasion we're going to have to get uh, in, the, in the proverbial face of the wayward and we're going to have to say, hey, you are moving in a completely wrong direction. Well, I want you, if you've got your Bible with you, to go into chapter number 15. Chapter number 14, uh, we don't have time to cover tonight, but in chapter number 15, we're going to see this gets taken up a notch. And we're going to see that another part of the underbelly of leadership is being faithful, even in the toughest assignments. So in 1 Samuel chapter number 15, we're going to see God and Samuel have a conversation about Saul. God comes to Samuel the prophet and says, I need to talk to you about Saul. And so in this conversation we're going to find out first of all that in leadership leaders must personally process the difficult things that God brings to the leader. Here it comes in this form to Samuel. The word of the Lord comes to Samuel. So automatically when you see the word of the Lord, if you write in your Bible, you can write authority right there. What was about to be said came with heaven's authority. It came from God himself. And here it is. God says to Samuel, I regret that I made Saul the king. He has turned his back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Now watch this. And look at Samuel. And Samuel was angry. And he cried to the Lord all night. Now, nobody, if this wasn't in the Bible, you and I would never know that Samuel actually felt the pain of what was going on in Saul's life. Because if that verse wasn't in there, we'd just see kind of Samuel like a Clint Eastwood kind of guy. You know, just kind of shuffling into town and saying, hey Saul, man's got to know his limitations and uh, you've crossed the line and your time's up. We could see him as kind of gruff and steely and abrasive and all of that. But the Bible tells us that when the difficult assignment came from God, that Samuel was going to have to be faithful to in order to fulfill his own leadership calling, that the Lord came to Samuel and he is saying to Samuel now, Samuel, it is over, Saul's done. I'm going to tell you why in just a few minutes. What had happened in chapter, between chapter 13 and 15, Saul had blown it again. And God had said, that's it. I'm not only not going to continue his kingship through his sons, uh, I, I'm about to terminate his kingship permanently through him. And when Samuel heard that, he had to process it privately. He had to wrestle with the Lord about the tough assignment. And the Bible said that he was angry. 
I love my Bible because that lets me off the hook. Because I know none of y'all have ever gotten upset with God. I know y'all haven't, but I have. I, I've been in situations where I've said, and I say it to my shame, but I'm going to be transparent. I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? I know you're omniscient, but I don't understand why you're doing this. Or more often than not, in my case, it's why don't you do something? Get this thing moving. Help me out. Do something. And I, I have gotten in moments where I've been frustrated with God. I'm too scared of him to get really, like, mad. But there have been moments where I've just been like, what is he doing? And so Samuel's processing this. And I think it was a mixture of being upset that the Lord had drawn the line. Because the Bible says he cried to the Lord all night long. And I don't think it was just, you know, crocodile tears. I think he was pleading with the Lord. Lord, change your mind. Lord, don't let this be the end of Saul. But I'm sure, quite confident, he was, he was upset and angry with Saul, too. Because Saul's life could be labeled with two words, wasted potential. That was Saul's testimony. That's all you need to know about King Saul in the Old Testament. That's his testimony. Wasted potential. He could have been great. But because he leaned to his own understanding, trusted himself more than he trusted God, and was afraid of what people would say, that was his downfall. He always cared more about what people would say about him than he did about what God wanted from him. So Samuel cries to the Lord all night, and he processes it. He processes it privately, but then the sun comes up, and that's verse number 12. He had to act with decisiveness. Listen to me. Leaders must act decisively. If you are an individual that can't ever make a decision, don't enter, enter into leadership. You're going to clog the pipe. You're, 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 the people following you will lose their ever-loving minds if you can't make decisions. Look at what Samuel did. The Bible says that he rose up early to meet Saul in the morning. It's a very general statement, but what that tells me is he got the tough assignment the previous night. He processed it privately with God. He poured out his heart to God. But when the sun came up, there was no procrastinating. There was no delay. There was no excuses. He knew what the Lord wanted, and he put his hand to the plow, and he never looked back. He was going to be faithful in the tough assignment. I do believe, without sounding like a prophet of doom on a Wednesday night, because you didn't show up here to get depressed tonight, but I can't get out of this. I mean, I, I just believe that we are entering into a season that is going to increase uh, exponentially in hostility towards the church in the United States of America. I believe it's going to come from every angle, and I actually think that some of it is going to come from the professing church itself against true Christ-honoring, born-again, Spirit-filled Christians who love the Word of God and love the, Word of God, uh, love the God of the Word. And I think intensity is going to come politically. I think it's going to come culturally. It's already coming culturally. It's beginning to come politically. And I think what's going to happen is there's going to be a lot of people that God's going to raise up, but they're going to have tough assignments. That God's not going to send us forth to hold hands with the world, but we will have to be drawing lines in the sand, and we'll have to stand up, and we're going to have to make clear, bold, emphatic, biblical statements about where we stand on issues like the sanctity of life, like the sanctity of marriage, like recognizing that though our culture has moved a thousand miles away from the tenets of Scripture, God forbid that the church would. And so, though we will be unpopular, and though we will be at times mocked as a people, we will say, no, we believe in the sanctity of life and the protection of life in the womb, not because of our political affiliation, but because God said, before you were in the womb, I knew you. That as the author of life, we say, we're going to honor the Lord, therefore we're going to protect the unborn. Now, I'm not going to go off on a tangent on this thing tonight, but what I'm saying is, hey, that's a tough assignment, and that's why a lot of Christians aren't willing to do it. But leaders don't have that option. So Samuel, in his own right, 
had to go and meet the king in the morning. And so that's the end of verse 12 into verse 13. Leaders must initiate confrontation. Let me read the verse and then give you some commentary here. It was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself. And he turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul told, said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Well, what was the commandment of the Lord? I'm going I'm to condense it for you. God said there's some really, really bad guys down there. And their, their, their king is Agag. And these people are so bad and so dangerous and so idolatrous and barbaric and sinful that Samuel, I want you to go tell the king, King Saul, I want you to go to tell him that he has got to kill every single person that he comes across in this tribe. And I don't want a single thing spared. I want you to take all their livestock and I want you to kill all of their livestock. I want every single person in the city absolutely wiped out. Now that sounds really intense and a lot of people have a harsh time with it, but it is the way that we would look at a cancerous conglomerate of cells in our body. We would not say, well, let's just try to manage it. We would say, no, we need to excise the tumor. We have got to get the death out. And that's the way God looked at the Amalekites. He realized that if these people continue to live, they're going to infect my people and they're going to spiritually kill my people. And so God said, they have proven themselves reprobate. Samuel, go tell Saul to wipe out everybody, including the king, all of their livestock and all of their stuff. And so what we didn't read tonight, because we didn't have time, is that Saul went down and he found the city, and his army went down and killed everybody but the king. Everybody. He obeyed the Lord 99%, but he would not kill Agag, and he wiped out all of the sorry livestock, but he could not bring himself to kill the precious sheep, the fattened sheep, the, 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 the ones that might be valuable, the ones that might be valuable for food or valuable for sale or valuable for wool. And so what Saul proved again is that he believed that he could improvise on God's commandments. And although you and I live in kind of a, a benumbed generation, and we might say, what's the big deal? He let one guy go. The big deal is this. In letting that one guy go, he defied God. And when it comes to obedience, God does not regard majority obedience as the same thing as complete obedience. And so the Lord reveals the intensity of his holiness because he looks at the leader, Saul, and Saul has disobeyed the Lord, not completely disobeyed, but the problem was is he didn't completely obey. And so <laughs> the Lord sends Samuel down, and look at Saul. Don't, don't miss what was said in verse 13. Saul had just left Gilgal after finishing building a monument to himself. He was so proud of the slaughter of the Amalekites and, and how he wiped out everybody that he said, and this was common in those days, a, a king would go in, he would destroy the enemies and they would build up a temporary or a, a monument to the victory. And so Saul regards that he, he doesn't have a clue that he has violated God and that he has absolutely dishonored the commandment of the Lord. And so he actually builds a monument to himself. And then when he goes to the next city, to Gilgal, Samuel follows him down there. And as he sees Samuel, he runs out and he says, Samuel, 
I have obeyed everything that the Lord has said. It's kind of amazing to me how deceptive the human heart can be. Um, I think, and this is a danger for all of us. We don't have to be leaders to, to think on this. This is for all of us. There are areas that you and I love to obey God in. There are areas in my life and your life that it is easy to obey God in. We, we're not tempted. We don't struggle. We know what God expects. We, we bring ourselves under it. We understand that there's a blessing of the Lord that follows, falls on obedience. And, and so those areas are easy. But if we're being honest, there are other areas that we want to bargain with God about. We, we, we want to suggest an alternative to God. And if we don't think we're going to get what we want out of that bargain, what often happens is we will double up in the areas where we love to obey, and we hope He won't notice this other area where we refuse to obey. Y'all are looking extra holy out there. Somebody better say amen. It's true. So Saul, because he did almost everything that God said, He's got a clear conscience, but that's amazing. That's why we don't live by just our conscience. We live by the objective truth of God. Because your conscience can lie to you. The human heart is deceptive. And so Saul runs out and he says, Blessed are you, Samuel. Check it out, Sammy. I've done everything that the Lord wanted me to do. And Samuel's about to say, not so fast. So let's go down to the last several verses in chapter 15, verses 14 through 26. And again, here we have it. And again, what are we talking about tonight? We're talking about the underbelly of leadership. I'm just kind of putting it out there saying, hey, it's a tough job. It's a great job. I frankly, I, I don't know that I could be happy doing anything else than being able to serve and, and, and lead um, at Newbridge. I, I love what I'm doing. But it is not what you think it is. It's good, it's substantial, it's rewarding, it is healthy, but it is hard. And it's, it's that way in any kingdom work where it's being done God's way. And so let's look at what else Samuel has to do. Holding the powerful accountable. Verses 14 through 16. Again, a willingness to confront. Remember, Saul had said, I have completed the commandment of the Lord. And this is, this, I mean, this is a shot block right here from Samuel. Samuel says, what then is the bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, <clears throat> um, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we've devoted to destruction. And Samuel said to Saul, stop! I will tell you what the Lord said to me tonight. And Saul said to him, speak. Now just watch this. This is where you can, you, I give you permission to get disgusted with this type of leader. Saul runs out, tries to set the pace for the discussion by saying, I did everything God told me to do. And Samuel says, oh yeah? I think I hear some sheep. And I think I hear some cows mooing. Hey, Saul, what's up with that? And immediately, watch what Saul does. He doesn't repent. He doesn't confess. He blames his followers. He blames his followers. Y'all hear me on this. I'm about to get in somebody's business, probably not here, but maybe some carnal pastor that's going to listen to this later. Just listen to me. When a pastor or a leader, a kingdom leader fails and he knows it, it immediately it's a test from God. 
Sir, do you think so much of your power, your privilege, and your position that you think you're above humbling yourself and confessing your wrongdoing and asking for mercy from the God that you have broken commandment from? Or are you going to get shifty? And Saul got shifty. The first word out of his mouth when Samuel confronted him was, they, they. Just a moment ago he had been saying, I, I. But now he's in trouble and he's saying, they. And he shifts the blame off of himself. Go back and look at the verse with me. He says, they have brought these sheep and these cows, the oxen from the Amalekites. And then he says, and the people. I mean, you can almost hear it. Samuel, I can't believe it. I wasn't watching. The people spared the best of the sheep. But Samuel, before you get, you get too upset, the reason why they did it, I found out later, is they just want to offer the best sacrifices that they can to the Lord. He is lying. He is straight up lying. There was no intention to offer God these things. These things are valuable. That's why they kept the best ones. And so he immediately shifts the blame on the people. I want to say this about leadership. Y'all, y'all know the old phrase, especially if you're 50 and above, the buck stops here. The buck stops here. And part of the underbelly of leadership is that you have to be humble from start to finish. You never graduate from humility. You're, you're never successful enough to where you get a free pass on your mistakes. You're you're never, you're not Jesus. Jesus is the only one who is never and will never have to confess a wrongdoing or a failure or a sin. But when a pastor, a leader, no matter what the position is, when they blow it, they have to be willing to look God in the eye first and the people they failed in the eye second and say, please forgive me. And that was not in Saul's heart. Saul would not perpetually humble himself. He'd have moments of remorse, but you never find him truly repenting. I don't know, uh, I, I, I just don't know where you are on this. I, you know, it's, it's so easy to dismiss this as not applying to you because you're not a king and there's not a prophet getting up in your grill. But the, the reality is this, is that um, there, there may be occasion in your life where you have to say the hard stuff to a leader. And I, I just, man, I, I really didn't intend to go in this direction. I, I actually think this can help some people here tonight. Pastors are not above being reproved. They're not above being called out when they fail. The, the misuse of the statement, don't lift up your hand against the Lord's anointed, that's usually kind of put into play by a guy who's done something wrong and is telling people, you can't touch this you got to leave me alone. I'm the Lord's anointed. I want to tell you something. The best thing you can do for a leader when they're out of God's will is in the right spirit confront them. To give them a chance to humble themselves and repent and to say, I'm sorry. And if they won't, the best thing you can do is stop following that leader. And to move on. And to find a place where you you can absolutely have confidence in God's leading those that lead you. And I I, I know how this works, by the way, because when you cross a carnal leader by standing up to them, by calling them into account, it doesn't deal with their carnality. When you walk away, you then become the object of their carnality. And the daggers start flying your way. That's why I'm saying it's the underbelly of leadership. In that moment, you're acting like the leader that he won't be. 
and you're walking away because you're trying to honor God. Now, enough of that. That was a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I just feel like that needed to be kind of, kind of hit here. And I know, by the way, I'm a, I'm a pastor, so that applies to me too. And I understand that. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm accountable to what I just said. So we get down into verses 17 through 21, and this is where, in holding the powerful accountable, look at what Samuel does. He discerns clarity in the details, in the particulars. Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? He said, the Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. And then Samuel asked the tough question, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil? Notice that Samuel's not saying, why did the people do it? He's going straight to the leader and he's saying, no, it was you, man. Why did you pounce on the spoil and, not, uh, and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, here's the remorse. No, 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 that comes later. Saul says to Samuel, I, ha I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. <laughs> I have gone on the mission which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Now listen. He's confronted. Samuel takes it even closer and asks him about the particulars. Here's what you were supposed to do. Why did you not do it? And Saul moves the goalpost. He actually moves the, Saul changed the whole thing. He said, I did do it. I, I did do what he told me to do. And then he slips in, and, and, and I got Agag with me, I got the king. Now, now wait a minute, because you have the king, you didn't do what you were supposed to do. Samuel changed the, excuse me, Saul changed the whole mission to fit what he had done. He's like, I did obey the voice of the Lord, I did go out on the mission he sent me, and I brought Agag with me. Well, wait a minute, the mission said, kill Agag, and you didn't. And then again, Saul shifts the blame and says, <clears throat> the people did all of this. There's nothing worse than a leader who places blame on the followers when it's straight up on him. I could run this presidential election tangent I'm so tempted to go down right now, but not going to do it. <laughs> the fact of the matter is we need leaders that will own their mistakes, learn from them, and move forward. But when they spin it, Republican, Democrat, I don't care. When, when a leader spins, whether it's in politics, whether it's in the church, whether it's in the family, never trust a leader who refuses to admit that they made mistakes or failures. They're disqualified immediately. You don't have to follow a person like that. Now, I'm not preaching civil unrest and rebellion against our government. The New Testament speaks about that. But what I'm saying is don't let that person influence you. So we get down to verses 22 through 23. Y'all still with me tonight? This is a weird message, I know, but uh, I just think God's going to do some heart work with it. Unwavering loyalty to truth. This is part of being a, a, uh, a leader who's willing to hold the powerful accountable. Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as He does in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen is better than the, the fat of rams. That's referring to the offerings. And then he says this, may every young person hear this, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, or in the ESV, divination. And presumption is as, as iniquity and idolatry. And here it comes. 
Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. All right, here's a great life principle here. This is what the Lord is saying. Now, I'm going to apply it to you and to me. I don't even know what time it is. He's saying this. So Saul has said, hey, look, we got, we got all these sheep. I know we were supposed to kill them, but we wanted to have a, a worship service. We, we wanted to offer these up to the Lord, even though that wasn't the Lord's plan. That was Saul's plan. At least that's what he said. And so Samuel comes back and, and, and he speaks on behalf of God. And let me paraphrase what he says. Let me, let me bring it down to home for you and me. God's not really interested in your empty sacrifices and your pretentious worship He'd actually like for you to learn how to obey Him. He says, your obedience means more to the Lord than you going through the little churchy worship motions. Uh-oh. That's exactly what he's applying here. See, Saul was going through, apparently, you know, I don't even believe this is what Saul was going to do, but he had set it up to where he excused keeping the sheep and the, the oxen because they were going to have this big sacrificial worship fest for the Lord uh, after the battle. And Samuel said, yeah, your obedience is what the Lord required of you. The Lord didn't say anything about having a worship service. The Lord didn't say anything about making sacrifice. And it's better for you to learn how to obey than for you to learn how to play. And so, I mean, again, shot block. It's Dikembe Mutombo. I mean, just boom, just shot blocked them. Just put the, the, the lies right back where they came from. And then he says this, Saul, it's over. I mean, th- th- this, is, this is intense stuff. He says, because of you rejecting what God told you to do, your influence is terminated. And Saul would never again have God's anointed blessing on him. As a matter of fact, within a couple of chapters, Saul is going to turn into a paranoid, murderous lunatic. Uh, Matter of fact, in next Wednesday, I think I'm going to do it on a Wednesday, you're going to see that the anointing leaves Saul and comes upon David. And in the absence of Saul's anointing, there comes an evil spirit. And so God takes his hand off of Saul as if to say, you want to live independently of me? Then you will. And God takes his hand off of Saul, and the absence of God's protection, evil spirits move into Saul's life, and he never recovers. Aren't you glad you came tonight? I mean, this is just really... But listen, there's something, <laughs> there's something to learn in this. Now, the beauty of it is this, because I don't want anybody saying, oh no, I am Saul. I've, I've disobeyed too much, and I'll never be forgiven. And God's turned me over to the demons, and I'm damned, and I'm lost. That is not going to be substantiated by the New Testament. Because the blood of Jesus Christ covers every single sin. He paid the full price. But what is required is your confessing and forsaking that sin if you want to be entering into God's blessing again. If you want to walk in the blessing of God, in the power of God, the presence of God, under the anointing of God, you can't be Saul. You can't respond to conviction like Saul did. 
The biggest issue with Saul is that he thought he was smarter than God and he started living that way until God gave him exactly what he wanted. What did Saul want? Saul wanted to be independent of God and God said, okay. If if you think about this, the, the, the great tragedy of those that die without Christ is that for all of eternity they get what they wanted on earth. What did they want on earth? They wanted God to leave them alone. And that's what they get for all of eternity. But for those that will humble themselves, a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. And so when we are broken and contrite, we will be honest with God about where we have failed. Will we acknowledge, yeah, Lord, I am the rebel. Lord, I am a, a bargainer. I am a, like Jacob. I'm kind of a schemer with you. And Lord, I, I do what I want some of the time, and, and I do what you want some of the time, but I, I, I've never really surrendered. And if we'll just be broken... God loves and is attracted to authentic brokenness because that's the only kind of person that he can work in. And so Saul wouldn't do that, and so Samuel finally pronounced the declaration of doom. Saul, you're toast. In verses 24 through 26, Samuel doesn't give in to emotion because watch what happens. Remember, I believe Samuel loved Saul. That's why he grieved on the night God told him that Saul's reign was over. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. Now watch. Listen to the words. I have sinned. I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, Samuel, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Uh, You ought to underline that in your Bible if you're writing your Bible. You know how how a a leader um, disqualifies himself or herself? by instead of leading the people, obeying their every desire. It's real popular in our day that, and you know, I've been really hard on leaders tonight, but let me be an equal opportunity offender and talk to the followers for a minute. Um, there's a lot of people that think that their job is to, to control the leaders and to manipulate the leaders and to make sure the leaders do what they want them to do. And that that stuff happens all the time in churches. And if a leader is the kind of guy who's a little wishy-washy or the kind of lady that, you know, just wants to make sure everybody likes her, then um, eventually you're going to do something they want you to do, and it's not going to be something God wanted you to do. And so Saul is now seeing it, but look at what he had to go through in order to come to this place of confession. So in verse 25 he says to Samuel, Therefore, please pardon my sin. He's asking Samuel to forgive him, but he hadn't said a word to God yet. Please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Now, just stop there for a minute. We only got one more verse, so you're almost free. He says to Samuel, I've sinned. I broke God's commandment. You're right. Here's how I did it. And one would think that ought to be enough. Jeff, didn't you just tell us if we'll repent and we'll confess and we will, we will you know, forsake it? Yeah, yeah, I actually did, but I want to tell you something. If you'll read the rest of Saul's life, you'll find out pretty quickly this was not repentance. This was Saul trying to captivate Samuel. I think Saul was actually regretting that this moment had happened, but he wasn't repenting. Because Samuel, verse 26, Samuel literally says, Saul, I'm sorry. We're done. And he has to walk away. And in that moment, and from that moment forward, you find King Saul hardening his heart against God. He enters into this roller coaster up and down, inner torment, 
Saul had already heard that God had chosen somebody else, and that drove Saul crazy. It drove Saul crazy to think, I've lost my kingdom, and he's giving it to somebody else. Who is it? And soon he was going to find out. Who was it, by the way? It was David. Soon he's going to find out that it's David, the little guitar-playing worship leader who has the side job keeping the sheep. That's going to be the new king. And Saul, and we're not going to have time to go through the rest of Saul's story, Saul made it his life's mission from that day forward to kill David. He tried to kill him, and he never repented, folks. Had he repented, who knows? At this point, it doesn't matter. The good news is this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a constant invitation for any of us, leaders, followers, wherever we are, wherever we are, it is a constant invitation to come into the presence of a merciful God who already knows everything. Confession is not telling God something He doesn't know. Confession is you agreeing with God about what God already knows about you. And so we confess and we forsake and we lay it before the Lord and we recognize that through the blood of Jesus Christ we are atoned for, we are forgiven, we repent, we turn, and we walk in a new and fresh relationship with the Lord. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So nobody leave here tonight saying, it's me, I'm, I'm turned away, I, I, I'm, I'm forever cast out, he, he'll never receive me. No! We learn from Saul's example that if you won't harden your heart, there is hope, there is mercy, there is grace, and there's a brand new tomorrow.